Hey everybody, it's Rubia Garcia, AKA Miss G, here to give you the brand new Teacher Life podcast, giving you your daily updates of the Derek Chauvin trial. It is day 13 of Arguments, Wednesday, April 14th. And yes, I am officially losing my voice between, again, the tear gas last night and then the screaming uh, in protest. And then more importantly, and apologies to anyone who caught me on my Instagram live last night because I was pissed. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Um, uh, again, the combination of being injured, being cold, being wet, being kettled, and just being flat out fed up. But that's me because I took that on. But we're going to talk about that and break all that down, what happened last night and everything at the end of all this. I'm going to start out by going through the motions. We finally saw Maurice Hall, who was in the car with George Floyd, May 25th. We actually heard from him this morning. He came to court. Um, he did not testify, but you're going to have to listen to pay attention to all that. And we only had one witness, David Fowler, for the defense. He was the forensic pathologist. Make sure you guys stick around because, again, once I get through the witness testimony and the motions and everything that happened in court, we're going to spend some time talking about Dante Wright. I have some messages that I need to deliver. I have some arguments that I need to, to shut down. I just have some things that I need to say and I want to give everybody a, an update and a rundown of basically what kind of happened last night and where we're all going from here. So make sure y'all stick around. You're listening to the Teacher Life Podcast with Miss G. All right, so first things first, let's knock out these motions. So the defense started out the day by filing a motion with Judge Cahill to acquit Derek Chauvin, basically, of all charges without even sending the case to the jury because according to him, the state has not proven its case. It's like a Hail Mary. It wasn't going to go anywhere. He basically said that the, the, the state failed to show how George Floyd died, as well as they presented some uh, a series of conflicting opinions on whether the use of force was even reasonable. Again, it was denied. Hail Mary, shot down. <laughs> but next up was the, the long-awaited ruling on whether or not Maurice Hall, the, the passenger in the vehicle with George, would testify for the defense. We heard from Shawanda Hill yesterday. She was the person in the backseat. Hall was subpoenaed by the defense just like she was, and he was questioned by Judge Cahill this morning in court before the jury was even allowed in. The defense has basically suggested that Hall sold the uh, sold the drugs to George Floyd and that George Floyd died of those drugs that he gave him, which means if he were to come and testify, it would leave him vulnerable to some kind of potential criminal charges under Minnesota's current broad third degree murder statute, which is ironically the same charge that Derek Chauvin is up against. But ultimately, uh, the defense is calling him to testify against himself and to incriminate himself and to own up the responsibility. Because again, the, the, the defense is throwing out anything and everything and just hoping that anything sticks. Anything to create reasonable doubt other than the nine minutes and 29 seconds on George's neck. Um, ultimately, Hall said that he was not willing to testify because he's fearful of incriminating himself. And then Judge Cahill found that he had a valid Fifth Amendment privilege and he squashed the subpoena. And then we got into witnesses. So, OK, <clears throat> thank you for being patient with the my, my voice and it's cracking. And I'm going to take a couple of breaks and take some sips of water, which I'm going to do right now to to get into this. So here we go with David Fowler, forensic pathologist for the defense. So David Fowler, he's now retired. He was uh, uh, formerly employed by Maryland's Office 
of Chief Medical Examiner. This is basically going to be a summary and rundown of the defense first, and then I'll let you know whenever we get into cross by the, by the state. This is the rundown. So basically, George Floyd died of a cardiac arrhythmia due to heart disease during police restraint. This is based on his review of the case um, for the defense, which includes looking at his past medical records, hospital ambulance records, police records, toxicology, and the multiple videos, including the body-worn camera surveillance videos and the bystanders. He said that George died of a sudden cardiac arrhythmia due to his underlying heart disease during his restraint and subdual by the police. He said uh, contributing significant factors included his ingestion of fentanyl, the methamphetamine, exposure to the, the vehicle exhaust and possible carbon monoxide poisoning. And also George Floyd had a paraganglioma, uh, which is a tumor in his pelvis that is known to secrete adrenaline in rare cases. And matter of fact, I believe if I'm not mistaken, when this was talked about by other experts previously by the prosecution, there's only been like maybe six to 10 instances in the entire history of the world where that has happened. But nonetheless, they didn't stop them from uh, throwing that out there. Um, but ultimately he said that all of those things combined to cause George's death. He also went and noted uh, George's enlarged heart, bless his heart, uh, combined with the 90% blockage at some places in his arteries, um, diagnosed hypertension, combined with the adrenaline, the drugs, and ultimately, and again, he died of a sudden death. Uh, they went on to spend a great deal of time talking about carbon monoxide poisoning. That's ultimately when I went to my Facebook because I was like, this is ridiculous because the car is a hybrid and the car was, they were talking about earlier on the trial, whether or not the car was even run, running or, or, or not. Um, but saying not that it caused it, but that it was a contributing factor, calling it um, the everybody knows carbon monoxide in the sense of it's dangerous. Like if you turn on a car inside of the garage and things like that, it's an extremely toxic gas. And it, what it does is it reduces um, a person's oxygen carrying capacity. Yeah, uh, I can't believe he went into it, but he said that the basic carbon monoxide was a quote, a brick in the wall, unfortunately, because he's trying to stack up all of these things. This is ultimately the, the, the defense's case today. All of these separate things are the bricks in the wall and carbon monoxide was just one of them that led to, to George's death. Fowler pointed to a, a study about knee restraints and the transference of weight to the body based on an experiment using dummies, dummies and that based on uh, that, Chauvin would have been applying less than 23% of his own body weight to Floyd. And he found no evidence of injury or bruising to George's neck or back, uh, saying, quote, it speaks to the amount of force applied to George Floyd was less than enough to bruise him. He said that uh, Chauvin's knee wasn't blocking George's artery. And he even went and I couldn't believe he did it. And I hope that they bring um, Dr. Tobin back in order to uh, <laughs> in order to impeach this testimony, which I mentioned yesterday is when you challenge the the uh, the correctness or the testimony uh, of somebody. But he threw shade at my hero, Dr. Tobin, and he said that he couldn't find any evidence in medical literature anywhere that Chauvin's knee would have impaired the function of George's hypopharynx, which is that small area at the bottom of your throat. Uh, and again, this is what <laughs> this is what Dr. Tobin testified last week. He said that that uh, the pressure on his neck, he can't find any evidence anywhere that that type of pressure would have had any um, influence on his hypopharynx. So I can't wait to 
So I hope and pray that Dr. Tobin comes back to shut that down. But um, he didn't see any evidence on the video that Floyd um, had died of hypoxia or low oxygen. He said that he would have expected to see George become disoriented, confused, or incoherent if hypoxia was the cause of death. And it, uh, George goes from, quote, uh, pretty fu- pretty much fully functional and coherent to unconscious, unconscious very rapidly, indicating a sudden cardiac event. Ultimately, and again, this is, these are the bricks. He said a combination of Floyd's heart disease, narrow blood vessels, the drug indigestion, uh, the exposure to carbon monoxide were all together and adding to each other and, and taking away from a different part of his ability to get oxygen to his heart. And quote, at some point, the heart exhausted its reserves of metabolic supply and went into an arrhythmia and then stopped pumping blood effectively. He had, quote, so many conflicting potential mechanisms of death that he considers the man of death better of death to be undetermined. A medical expert would have caused, would have called. He's testified ultimately he would have ruled this death to be undetermined. He went into basically how um, um, they go and make these determinations um, in manner of death, saying that they could fall under five classifications, homicide, natural, accidental, undetermined, or suicide. And then he walked through how he made that determination, saying that being restrained near a source of carbon monoxide and then the stress of the police interaction triggering his fight or flight reaction would be considered a homicide. But most circumstances in which drug intoxication contributed to the death would be considered an accident. Um, Because he had a significant heart disease and the paraganglioma tumor, which could have secreted oxygen all of that added together to further compromise his heart. Um, the next time I posted on Facebook was when I was like, this, pro- this, this cross-examination is everything because Prosecutor Blackwell gets up. He asked Fowler if there was any carbon monoxide in his blood, and there was not. He asked if he knew for a fact that the squad car was running at the time uh, George was restrained, and Fowler said he believed the car was running because he saw water dripping from the tailpipe. Blackwell goes back and says, so you simply assume seeing something dripping from the tailpipe that the car had been on. And he he was like, nah, I was just making, you know, educated guess or whatever the case may be. Blackwell then went after his testimony that there was no bruising or injuries found on George's neck or back, getting him ultimately to agree that in the vast majority of cases in which someone dies of low oxygen, there are no traumatic indications of the cause of death, such as bruising, bruising, right? or any kind of injuries like that to even cause it. He gets Fowler to admit that whether or not someone suffered from a positional asphyxia can really only be determined through an investigation, not by an autopsy. So you're not necessarily going to see bruises like that, which again would corroborate everybody else's testimony. So it's like he's telling the truth in these some things and he's corroborating exactly what their testimony is, but he's looking at their stuff and he's seeing completely different things I, I don't know how, but anyways, he said, like, an, you can only determine that by an investigation, you know, like witnesses and video evidence of nine minutes and 29 seconds. You know what I mean? <laughs> but whatever the case may be, um, several, uh, as I said, several metal experts have already testified that they relied on the same video evidence he did to determine that George had died of low oxygen due to the police restraint. Uh, the prosecutor pointed to his earlier characterization, uh, characterization of death uh, of George's death as being sudden. I couldn't wait till he got onto this one. 
he asked at what point did, did George die in the more than five minutes between when he was first restrained and when officers found he had no full uh, no pulse. And then he walked back Fowler and asked that got him to clarify that he believes that George suffered a, a, a sudden cardiac arrest, but that there wouldn't have been there would have been a period of time between suffering that arrest and then dying and that the moment of death isn't easily documented. So he really couldn't answer it, answer that question. Uh, Blackwell asked whether uh, Fowler thought early medical intervention would have saved George's life. And this is probably the most uh, key part of the, the cross-examination. Fowler agreed that George should have been given immediate medical attention from the moment that the police officers recognized he had no pulse. And that was at 826. So he pointed that also uh, Blackwell went to point to the methamphetamine in his system and thank God got him to talk about the fact that he had he had such a low amount in his system and that also there were pills found in the car. So obviously Fowler was like, well, yeah, if they're in the car, they're obviously not in his system and there weren't any found in his stomach as well. On redirect, Nelson comes back up um, and says that a larger person... Uh, the larger a person might be, like the bigger person Chauvin might be, the likely they are to inflict injuries or bruising. Uh, Fowler says it's very common, um, especially in, in death by asphyxia. He says the Chauvin's knee was also not obstructing George's carotid artery in his neck. And if he, even if it were, he had secondary arteries and things like that. But again, the pulmonologist, <laughs> Dr. Tobin, my hero, and all the other medical Experts were were pointing to the fact, and this was pointed out in Cross as well, that he was being pushed between the the knee and the pavement. And that's where it is. They could not continue the supply of, of, of blood to the brain, even with that type of restraint on him. Um, on final recross, when uh, Prosecutor Blackwell goes back up, he asked whether it's his opinion that Chauvin's actions played any role in Floyd's death during the restraint on the ground. Nelson objects. So Blackwell rephrases the question and then asks whether George Floyd's passing was coincidental or unrelated to the restraints on the ground. The defense objects again. <laughs> Fowler doesn't answer either question and then they pretty much adjourn for the day until tomorrow morning. The defense's case centers around how George died, which this is the key point and dispute of the entire trial. All of these medical experts have already testified for the prosecution, saying that the police restraint restricted his oxygen and caused his heart to stop. But now the defense has argued that it's a combination of his heart. It's, they're still on it. I just, okay. It's his heart disease. It's the adrenaline. It's the fentanyl. It's the methamphetamine. It's the carbon monoxide. All of these things amounted to a fatal comment. All of these things did it instead of what we saw. And the ultimate thing is the defense will not want this uh, uh, Fowler to answer that question, right? As to whether or not it was coincidental or if he played any role whatsoever with the restraint. Why does he want uh, him to answer that question? Because Chauvin doesn't need to be the only cause. He only has to be a cause, a significant causal factor in all of this. And that's where all of this rests. So today was, um, as far as the testimony goes, that pretty much wraps up the motions in the testimony. I'm going to cut it. We're going to take a break and I'm going to be right back and we're going to go over pretty much what's gone down here in the death of, 
of uh, Dante Wright and an update and where we're going from here. Stick around. All right, so I appreciate y'all giving me the patience to kind of run through this next part because I'm going to do my best to not go completely off in the next 10 minutes. But um, first, let me say thank you because the truth be told, I could not be here telling you all this if it wouldn't be for you. So I know that this, this sounds corny, but the truth of the matter is, if you became a monthly subscriber, if you donated to Nola Rubia Garcia on Cash App, if you bought merch on Rubia Garcia, if you donated stars, hell, even if you shared the podcast and shared the messages, all of this is because of you. Thank you. Because I wouldn't be here to be sitting here putting my middle finger up to some of these motherfuckers and saying, you're not going to sit here and tell me what I breathed in my own lungs, what I felt on my own skin and what I saw with my own eyes. You feel me? You're not going to sit here and tell me what the fuck I seen or did not see with my own eyes at all. It's not going to happen. So shout out to all of you guys. Now, what I want to talk about is basically what I've experienced since I've been here in uh, uh, in Minneapolis. So I got here Sunday. Thanks to, uh, again, thanks to you guys. I'm here to cover the trial. I go to the square, which is outside of the, the Hennepin County Courthouse. Now, I try to, um, I'm trying to give everybody an update and try to figure out where the hell everybody is. But while I'm there, I get a phone call. And this is the call about Dante Wright. I get to the neighborhood where this has transpired and the SWAT and riot police arrive before the coroner gets there in order to remove Dante's body from the damn block. Next thing you know, the protest erupts. And then everybody heads over to the Brooklyn Center PD, which is about maybe 10 miles, about a 15, 20 minute drive from the Hennepin County Courthouse. This is where relatively I'm pretty much located right next to the courthouse. Um, this flows into Monday, right? So Monday, I'm covering the trial for you guys. And then Monday night, there's a vigil. And then there is going to be more, more protests at the Brooklyn Center um, police station. Now, it's important to note that before curfew and all this hits off, the city council of Brooklyn Center had issued a, uh, uh, passed a bill that told the police that they are not allowed to use kettling, which is when they try to uh, round up all the protesters like Cal and all that, and they try to kettle them in and they trap them in basically to beat, harass, and arrest them. They can't kettle protesters, they can't tear gas, and they can't use rubber bullets. If you were following on Nola Rubia Garcia, Sunday, Monday, or even tonight, you are going to be front row seats to the bullshit because we all know that that was not the case. You all were sitting there live with me whenever they were firing rubber bullets, tear gas, flashbangs, and they kettled motherfuckers, okay? And I'm sorry, I'm gonna try to keep, keep my language, whoop, but I'm getting mad because that's, it's, it's bull, right? Because how is it that, that cops are allowed to break the law. How do you pass a bill and then pass a law and then 15 minutes later, your police officers are violating it and nobody's doing anything, right? You weren't even keeping that same energy on January 6th, but I digress. And now let's talk about actually what is going on and some of the things I want to address when it comes down to Dante Wright. There's been so many things that have pissed me off. I've, I've addressed a couple of them um, let's just start out. Let's just talk about guns, right? Because, uh, there has been today was, it, it finally hit a point where somebody posted on one of my posts 
a picture of Dante who had a, uh, he had a, it was a picture of a selfie of him with a gun and a blunt. First of all, just because you, you, you roll your weed in, in a white boy does not mean it's any different than a blunt. Let's just be real because there are plenty of Americans who utilize marijuana for a multitude of reasons. And they're acting like these, these, these people ain't old enough that, oh, Jesus, the quarter, you know better because you lived through the seventies. So cut the bullshit. That's number one, right? But the image that they're trying to portray is that he is some kind of criminal or thug because he has a gun and he has weed. First of all, I done seen white boys all over the internet and even in my Tinder, I actually have a Tinder game. I shit you not. I've even joked about this on Facebook before. In Tinder, when I had a Tinder, but there was a game because one of every three profiles had had a, either a dude in some camouflage, a dude with a dead animal, or uh, and the gun All in all of those, both of those two, or the dude who had the douchebag uniform, which is like, the douchebag uniform for me is I'm never going to jail ever because my daddy's an attorney. Like they got the cargo shorts and the fucking polo and the Crocs. You feel what I'm saying? Because every third profile had a dead animal or whatever, because all of these white boys have nothing but guns. I see white boys with guns all the damn time. Right. And that's whether or not they have something that was once living in the picture with them. So why is it right? Why is it the perception? He's he's a criminal and he's a thug because he has a gun. But when I see white boys who are running around doing the same thing, it's not the same perception. And then they are absolute crickets when it comes down to these white boys running into churches or running into schools or running into theaters or running into anywhere else, right? And shooting it up. It's just amazing to me because you're crickets. And then that doesn't even cover when they're ever, they're plotting to storm, they're, they're, they're plotting to kidnap sitting governors or storming the U.S. Capitol or dropping bombs at the DNC and RNC. It's absolute crickets. Y'all don't have shit to say, right? But now all of a sudden they're criminals and they're thugs. He's a criminal and he's a thug because he has a gun and a blunt. The fuck out of here. Next. They want to say, they say he, somebody said that he has a warrant for a gun because you saw a picture of him with a gun. And then you heard that he had a warrant, which was true. And then you conflated the two because your fragility is too fucking strong. It has to be something, right? It couldn't be anything else. It couldn't be like a, an accident in the sense, it's only accidental whenever, you know, cops kill people. It's never accidental that the courts could do something to fuck it up. Like, once I had a warrant put out for my arrest because they, the cops didn't give me the ticket, right? They pulled me over, gave me a warning, left, but then actually gave me a ticket, but didn't give me the ticket. So I didn't show up to court. They issued a warrant, right? But oh, here's the difference. A traffic stop when I have a warrant is going to be completely different because the next thing they attack was why did he flee? First of all, let's be real. If I were Dante Wright, I'd be scared as shit too. And I'm about to sit here and tell you why. Because if I'm Dante Wright and I got pulled over for an air freshener in a town that is literally founded by KKK member Earl Brown, Brooklyn Center. Look it up. Founded by Earl Brown and to this day has streets and buildings still named after him and still memorialize this man. And he was the sheriff of Brooklyn Center, that same PD station, because he founded the town and the police department. And you trying to arrest me for an air freshener? Yeah, fam. I'm gonna be a little bit, I'm gonna be a little bit tense too. But as again, as a white woman, I have the privilege and the luxury of never knowing how Dante felt that day. 
but it goes to say a hell, hell of a lot that she even felt that a taser was necessary when you got all of those officers right there, right? All of them, the officers that she was training. Because again, this woman is a 26 year vet, which means she was a police officer longer than Dante was even on this earth. She had been a police officer for six years before he was born, right? Make the shit make sense. But it doesn't stop them from coming with all the excuses and all the bullshit. Because resisting arrest is another charge. It's not a death sentence. Are we going to sit here and argue that a 26-year vet? There's no such thing as, as an accidental discharge. It's negligent discharge. You murdered this man. But today she has been charged with second-degree murder and she was arrested. But no different than those who are like, I doubt she'll go to jail. Well, yeah, a lot of people also said that they doubted Derek Chauvin would be on trial. And here we are, right? So excuse my frustration. I understand because I have the luxury and the privilege of because of who I am to, to have a little bit more optimism, I guess, in a sense, because in my mind, even throughout today's testimony, I have friends that are worried about today's testimony because the defense's job is to sit here and sow reasonable doubt. But in my mind, it's a fucking done deal. You hear me? It's a done deal. He can sit here and say that I just don't see 12 jurors sitting here looking at this testimony by Fowler today and sitting here saying that his testimony outweighs all of theirs. All of them. And I don't mean just the other medical experts. We're talking about the blue wall of silence that either started to crumble or started to protect themselves because they realized the gig is fucking up. But my frustration at the end of the night last night when I was in the car, it was like, at what point does this become a revolution? And then what is the definition of a revolution? Because in my heart and in my core, I believe in the principles of this country. I said it so many damn times that I feel like it's corny to sit here and talk about the declaration and the fact that there's only two things that's mentioned in the declaration before they list the 27 things that King George III had did wrong to the, to the colonists. And that was the authority of the people to overthrow any such government. Do I want a revolution? Do I want to throw away American democracy? Absolutely not. Do I want to throw away the Constitution? Absolutely not. I'm very well aware that this is chess and not checkers and we can win. I guess my frustration was, when are we going to wake up? And what I'm calling for is a revolution, but not in the sense of blood and violence, but in the sense of awakening, a great awakening. We've had a first awakening. We've had the second awakening. When are we going to have the third great awakening? To where this country, when I sit here and talk about struggle and progress, when those who are sitting in this country can actually recognize that even though they, they were born into the progress, that it is still a struggle in order to maintain our, 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 our growth and everything that we've had. You think just because we got it that it's always going to be here? Like freedom is free, right? Like it's always protected as if they aren't doing what they can, no different than they're doing in Georgia. Because if voting didn't matter, why the hell would they be doing what they're doing to try to take it away from you? I am waiting for the great awakening. For everybody, and particularly, it's just the, I don't know exactly what the answer is. And I keep calling for people to come out here for the weekend because the, the, 
they're going to wrap up and do closing arguments Monday. So we'll have a, a verdict early next week because I'm, I'm, I'm nervous even about, even about tonight, right? Because ultimately I kept showing up because I want justice for Dante Wright. I wanted her to be fired. I wanted her to go to jail. She's been charged and she's going to jail. My next thing is, is that going to stop anybody from showing up tonight? And then what does that say? What does that say going forward for the trial? It asks a question to me to what happens if it goes anyway in the Derek Chauvin trial? What happens if it's a not guilty? Or better yet, what happens if it's a guilty? Will the results be the same? Is anything going to quite satisfy anything? And I don't have the answer for that. But going forward, I know that I'm here and I feel like I have a responsibility to document what is going on. I thought about it last night when I was kettled. I was like, to say all this is going on, I'm not scared. And it's so crazy because in all the work that I've I've done, in all the precarious situations I've been in, I've I don't, I never remember feeling fear. I don't feel fear like that. And only thing that that tells me is that obviously the work that I'm doing, I was built for this because there are plenty of people who look at what I do and my work and my ideas and be like, man, she is absolutely crazy. And I agree. So how do you explain that? That tells me that I'm living in my purpose and I'm living in my passion and I'm happy. Not because I, I have to do these things, but because maybe we're actually making progress. But I'm fearful of the situation where it's not going to be enough. That's what I fear. And what I also find incredibly frustrating, and I'll wrap this up with this because I mentioned it in my live last night as far as trying to wake people up because I spent my entire academic career, we all did, in American schools. I went to a, a public school, right, in New Orleans. And every single day, they made us stand up and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Only to become a teacher. And for the last 10 years of my life, I've been standing in the four walls of my classroom, making sure that my students are saying the same thing, demanding liberty and justice for all. And then when we take to the streets in order to demand it, we get those who are supposed to protect and uphold the law, breaking the law, firing on innocent men, women, and children for days on end without consequence or repercussion. And then you have MSNBC and CNN and all these people sitting here covering the riots and the looting and not the roots and the causes of them. And not the fact that the police are sitting here firing on these people and breaking their own laws 
in doing so. And not even skipping over the fact that you've also fired on innocent homes who are just so happy to live across the street. After you killed an unarmed black man in, the, in a city where a quarter of their population is black, but was literally founded by someone who hated each and every one of them. And killed by an officer who works for that same department. I take offense to you ingraining into my spirit and into my soul and into my identity that we're supposed to be fighting one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And the moment that we take to the streets and actually demand it, y'all can't handle it. Well, I got news for you. This is the revolution. This is the great awakening. And one by one by one, they will continue to turn over. People will begin to wake up to see the injustices the way that they are, no matter, no different than I did, no different than they did last summer, no different than they will continue to do. Until those who are in the majority become that which they fear the most, the minority. And that is why equity and, and words like equality and equity scare the shit out of them. It's to see the, the word patriot be used the way that it's used. It's funny because I said this when I was going off in my live last night. I said, you want that word patriot? Fuck it. Take it. Because I'm loyal as fuck. Not loyal to the crown, which some of y'all, again, should have been hailing Prince Edward. Because if we go by your logic and the rioting and the looting and all of these things, we'd still be under the British Commonwealth since you didn't like all the rioting and looting. Missed that part in history. But if you want to be a patriot and that's your definition of patriotism, then I'm a loyalist to the Constitution. Call it what the fuck it is. I'm not loyal to any of y'all who believe that the word patriot gives you the license to act as if you are no longer a human. Period. I appreciate you guys sticking around and hearing all of that out. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it. I got to get dressed. I'm going to head out to the to the uh, to the police station and see what's going on um, out there uh, this evening. I really again appreciate you guys for all the love and support. Make sure that you're following on Nola Rubia Garcia on Instagram or Twitter, Rubia Garcia on Facebook uh, or Facebook uh, Rubia Garcia two on uh, my fan page. You guys can support by donating to the Cash App. Shout out to, to those. Uh, I'm going to create an Amazon gift, uh, um, an Amazon wish list to kind of get some supplies. Uh, I'm supposed to be getting a gas mask and I got a portable charger. Shout out to Sierra. She sent me a portable charger today. Um, anybody who wants to donate to help support being out here, you can donate to Nola Rubia Garcia on Cash App. Um, you can become a monthly supporter here on Anchor FM. They have like different things. You can do 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month, or whatever. Um, or you could just, honest to God, guys, just share the message, share the love, share the post. I love you guys and I appreciate it. Thank you for everything from the front lines.
Teach Life。